0: All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Luke. In this session, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 39. And let's set the context for us. At the end of this section, Luke has the disciples asking the question, Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And what follows in this session that we're going to look at in this recording and the ones to come is a series of snapshots showing Jesus' power and authority. Luke shows us that Jesus is the Lord over the wind and the sea, that he's the Lord over the demons in the demonic realm, that he's the Lord over sickness and even death. And so it seems like Luke is helping us answer that question, who Jesus is, by a series of snapshots that answer the question the disciples asked. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And this is apropos because in the last section, Jesus said he didn't come to hide the truth, but like a lamp, he intends to bring the truth about himself and God's kingdom to light. And so, Here we have a series of snapshots that do that. They show Jesus's glory and kingship and power and authority on full display, unhidden. And in doing so, they help us see who Jesus really is. So in the first of these snapshots, Jesus is in a boat on his way to the east with his disciples. It picks up this way in Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Now, on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. And so they are going to cross over the other side of the lake or the Sea of Galilee. They end up, as the story unfolds, in the region of the Gerasenes on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. So they're sailing eastward recall that a number of the 12 are fishermen, and thus their experience with the sea. That's important in what follows. Not only that, most of the rest are from Galilee, so they're at least familiar with the Sea of Galilee and the weather patterns around the Sea of Galilee. And so Luke says they launched out. They set out sailing across the sea, and as they were sailing along, he, meaning Jesus, fell asleep. We learn from the accounts in the other Gospels, he was asleep in the stern, that is the back of the boat. These uh, wooden fishing boats from Jesus' day uh, were decent sized, and they most of them had a platform with a cushion on it in the back of the boat. In fact, they actually uncovered a boat from this time period when the sea levels on the Sea of Galilee went way down during a drought in the 1980s, and the boat they found is about 27 feet long roughly seven to seven and a half feet wide at its widest point. It's a fairly flat bottom boat, so it could get in close to shore for fishing. So there's Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat, and the boat uh, is full of the other disciples. And here's what happens. As they were sailing along and Jesus sleeping, a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. Now, windstorms like this are well-known in the Sea of Galilee. The wind sweeps down off the Golan Heights in the east and rushes suddenly upon the lake, and these windstorms can be uh, quite severe. Um, And notice, it's a windstorm. It says a fierce scale of wind. It's not a thunderstorm or a rainstorm. This is the way it worked on the Sea of Galilee. There would be these sudden um, windstorms, that could be strong, whip up the sea into a turbulent monster. And that's what happens. And so as the sea gets whipped up, now the waves are breaking over the boat and water is filling up the boat. That's what it means when it says it's being swamped. And they're in danger. Like this is a severe incident with a major windstorm. And so they go to Jesus, verse 24, and they wake him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And they're they're sure that they're going to go down, that this is not a small storm, and they're in real trouble. Again, remember, you have experienced fishermen, experienced people of the sea on this boat, and yet this is a severe enough storm that they're afraid, genuinely afraid. So they wake up Jesus and uh, express their fear that they're afraid they're going to drown out here in the sea. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? Now, two shocking things about this. One, that Jesus silences the wind and the waves with a word. Instantly, the wind stops blowing. Instantly, the waves stop surging. This is shocking because in the Hebrew scriptures, it's clear that This is something only God can do, right? God's the one who stills the sea, according to the Psalms. God's the one who controls the waters. uh, And... The waters were viewed as a place of chaos and even a place out of which evil came. and In some regards, even a gateway to the abyss, like the waves and the wind and the sea and all of this. This was scary stuff in their kind of mental landscape. And God's the only one who can control this stuff. And here's Jesus, who just gets up from his nap, speaks a strong word, and the winds stop, and the waves stop. Shocking. The second reason this is shocking is that Jesus asked, where's your faith? Where's your faith? How would, how would they know that Jesus could do this? Right? As we just noted, their scriptures, the Old Testament, that, that shaped their view of things, emphasize that Yahweh is the only one who's the Lord of the wind and the waves. So why would Jesus think that they could have confidence that jesus could do this and i i suspect that the question is motivated not by expecting that they should have known he could control the wind and the waves but by everything else he's been talking about and doing and teaching and manifesting about god's kingdom coming through him the whole context and direction of his ministry so far as we've seen it in Luke's gospel, should have at least assured them that they weren't going to die in this storm, right? Like he's been teaching them these kinds of things. He's been manifesting God's kingdom, both his power and authority, but also that he's the one through whom God's going to bring his kingdom. And they should have at least had confidence that no, they're not going to perish here in the storm. In fact, in Mark's account, Mark 4.35 and following, Mark explicitly links this event to Jesus's preaching about the kingdom of God. And so I think that's what motivates the question here is, look, maybe you didn't know I could speak a word and control the winds and the waves, but you should have known as the one who's bringing in God's kingdom that uh, we're not going to die out here in this storm. And so he asks them, where is your faith? Where is your confidence in me? And here's their response. But they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. And Their amazement and fear is appropriate. If if only God can command the wind and the waves, he's the one who stills and controls the seas. Well, this human just did that. So who is he? Who is he? That's the first snapshot. And as we noted at the outset, the following snapshots help answer this question. Who is this one that the winds and the waves obey him? Because only God should do that. And so let's pick up with the very next snapshot that follows right on the heels of this. And here's what Luke tells us. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of the Galilee. And so they have finished their journey across the sea after Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, and they end up in the country of the Gerasenes. This is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, where the hills climb steeply up from the shore. This is the region of the Decapolis, the ten cities, and it's Gentile land. This is not Jewish territory. This is Gentile territory. Here's what happens when they arrive. Verse 27, And when he stepped out of the boat and onto the land, a man from one of the cities met him who was possessed with demons. Notice that little detail. Not a demon, but demons, plural. He was possessed with demons. And he had not put on clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but among the tombs. The details here aren't random. To not have any clothes, well, clothes marked out your identity, who you were and who you belonged to and your people and your tribe, your kinsmen, right? So he didn't have any clothes, he had nothing to identify who he was. Not only that, clothes covered your shame. And so this man is naked, and he's not living in a house, but he's living among the tombs. He's banished to the outskirts of society and living among death. In fact, tombs were believed to be the haunts for demons in some parts of the ancient world. So here's this man stripped of community, marked by shame, and living among death. He's in a bad situation, right? And seeing Jesus, verse 28, he cried out, and fell down before him and said in a loud voice what business do you have with me Jesus son of the most high god i beg you don't torment me for jesus had already commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man the man or the demons within the man at least know who jesus is notice they he addresses him by name jesus and By his title, son of the most high God, not just any God, even the most high God, not a son of the gods or one of the gods, son of the most high God. The demons within this man know who Jesus is. And Jesus had already commanded the demons to come out. And now, now the demons within this man are trying to bargain with Jesus. Uh, they're afraid he's going to torment them. In other words, they recognize Jesus, and they recognize his power and authority over them, and they're trying to bargain with Jesus. What business do you have with me? And they, they want to they bargain. Well, Luke then gives us a little flashback to help us understand how this demon had destroyed, or these demons in this man had destroyed this man's life. So a little flashback here in the rest of verse 29.4. It, the demons, had seized him, the man, many times. And he was bound with chains and shackles and even at times kept under guard. And yet he would break the restraints and be driven by the demon into the desert. And so he's finally banished from town. He's living out among the tombs. And that's where Jesus meets him. And so we get that little flashback and to help set up how, how really powerful this demon is and how destructive it's been to this man's life. And Jesus asked him in verse 30, what is your name? And he said, legion, because many demons had entered into him. Uh, Legion is not so much a name as it is really a a title or a number. In fact, in the Roman military, a legion was roughly 6,000 men. Uh, The point is here is that this man is overwhelmed with many demons, like demons have just taken up residence in him, and he's overwhelmed, not with just one, not just with two, but a legion of demons. But Jesus isn't intimidated, and Jesus doesn't back down. Um, In fact, the demons, in their bargaining with Jesus, verse 31, they were begging him, not to command them to go away into the abyss. And so the demons, they don't want Jesus to torment them. They don't want Jesus to send them away into the abyss. The abyss is someplace they don't even want to go. The word abyss literally just refers to, like, back in the King James, it's translated bottomless pit, deep hole, uh, a, a pit that has, you know, no bounds. Bottomless pit, that's literally what it means. But it became to refer to the place of evil and really the prison for evil spirits and all that. They don't want to go there. Um and so they they try to work out a deal with Jesus in verse 32. Now there was a herd of many pigs feeding there on the mountain, on the hillside, which what do pigs tell us? Again, we're in Gentile territory, not Jewish territory. Jews don't farm pigs. Gentiles do. And so Remember, we're on the eastern side. We're not dealing with the Jewish man. We're not dealing with Jewish territory. We're in a Gentile lands. And here's this herd of pigs. And the demons begged Jesus to permit them to enter into the pigs. And so he gave them permission. Uh, We don't know why. Why did this? But what happens is ironic. And I have to imagine from a Jewish perspective, somewhat funny that they, they would find this story a little bit hilarious. So The demons asked to go into the pigs. Jesus says, fine, go into the pigs. And here's what happens, verse 33. And the demons came out of the man, entered into the pigs, and the herd of pigs rushed down the steep hillside and directly into the lake, into the Sea of Galilee, and the whole herd was drowned. Um, and so the demons begged them to send them into the pigs, Because they know they're no match for Jesus' authority. They don't want to go to the abyss. And so they're trying to come up with a a, a compromise. Jesus gives them permission. And yet when he does that, just as these demons had destroyed the man's life, so they destroyed the pigs. They rush down the hill and they're into the sea. And there's a bit of a humorous irony there they really do end up in the abyss anyhow in fact the sea was associated with the abyss the, the sea was a place from which evil sprang and there's this whole you can read uh, through the old testament you see glimpses of this in the ancient you know near eastern um, kind of mythos of the world of the old testament right there's there's myths about uh, the sea monsters and the gods defeating the sea monsters. So the sea had the sense of being a gateway to the abyss and uh, a place of chaos and torment and evil. Anyhow, and and here these demons really end up in the abyss as it was anyhow. And I imagine the Jews reading any Jews hearing this story or even. Jesus' disciples watching this, not only after the initial shock of what happened, they would find it somewhat funny. Ha, those demons didn't want to go into the abyss. They wanted to go into the pigs. Uh, They ended up in the abyss anyhow. Um, Now, verse 34, here's here's the follow-up. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported everything in the city and in the country. They started spreading the word of what had happened, and the people came out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting down at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus teach, uh, listening to Jesus talk, and notice this, he's clothed and in his right mind, and the people became afraid. So here's this man sitting there with Jesus, they've given him some clothes, and he's, he's no longer crazy, he's in his right mind, and they're afraid. Um... Those who had seen everything reported to them how the man who had been demon-possessed had been made well. They told them the whole story of what happened and how the demons uh, bargained with Jesus, and Jesus sent them in the pigs. They told them the whole story, and all the people in the territory of the Gerasenes and the surrounding region asked him, Jesus, to leave them because they were overwhelmed by great fear. And he got into a boat, and he returned. Like this man had been such a a nuisance in the area, was so well known, was so possessed by demons. Nobody had been able to heal him or help him, and here's Jesus that had been able to do this. And the people just—they can't handle. They're overwhelmed by great fear. Um, It seems almost as if the people are more comfortable with what they know than they are with Jesus and who Jesus is. Which means they're more comfortable with a man tormented by demons with a man who can vanquish demons, namely Jesus. Apparently, they can understand demons, but they can't understand Jesus and his power over them. They know they can't control Jesus. So they ask him to leave. So Jesus gets into a boat and he returned back to Galilee. But before he did, the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging Jesus that he might accompany him. But Jesus sent him away. Said, no, no. Sent him away saying this, return to your home and describe what great things God has done for you. And so the man went away, catch this, as Luke has written it, proclaiming throughout the city what great things Jesus had done for him. In following up the snapshot about the sea and the disciples question, who is this? With this story and ending this story this way, Luke is making a very strong statement about who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Like, go and tell people what God has done for you. And Luke says he went and told people what Jesus had done for him. And Luke is wanting us to hear, who is this one? Well, the one who can speak and control the seas and do what only Yahweh can do is, in fact, God himself. And he has control over not just a demon, but legions of demons. And again, at his word, they submit. And they submit to his power and his authority. Uh, No incantation. No chants, no formulas, no rituals, no magic spells, no, you know, magic objects. All of those things were customary uh, to be used in both Jewish and Gentile contexts in the ancient world for trying to cast out demons. Jesus just gives the word. That's the kind of power he has. And so who is Jesus? Well, bare minimum, he's the one through whom God is powerfully working. He's the one through whom God's power and authority and kingship are being uh, brought into and unleashed into the world. A bare minimum. That's who he is. But could it be more? Because what Jesus does is what God does. So who is this one? Exactly. Who is this one who has this kind of power and authority?